own life on the line. So we walked, talked about Esther last week. This week, I want to talk to you about Jesus. But I want to talk to you about Jesus in a way that maybe you haven't completely considered before. And sort of the, the reality of who Jesus really was. So turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. This is an incredible, incredible text. And I'm talking about incredible. Because what if, what if I predicted something that was going to happen, let's just say in 10 minutes. And you knew that there was no way on earth that I could have staged it. No way that it was fake. No way that I knew about it. And I wasn't incredibly vague. I mean, I was detailed. And I told you specifically something crazy that was going to happen in 10 minutes. And you knew there was no way I had anything to do with it. And 10 minutes later, exactly what I said came to pass. Would that not be incredible? Feel free to say yes. That would be incredible. One time I was watching a Saints game with my uncle. And, um, and I predicted the next play and how many yards they would get. And they did exactly what I said, and you would have thought I was like a god. It was incredible. And he was like, oh my gosh, what, what play are they going to run next, you know? What do you think about the spread on the Eagles game? I mean, all kinds of stuff. It was incredible, and I predicted one play correctly. Let me tell you what happens in Isaiah 53. 750 years before Jesus came, Isaiah 53 describes Jesus exactly. What if you read something from 750 years ago that describes something that happened right now precisely? 750 years ago, I did the math, but don't check it because I, I just did it in my head. But I think that was 1277. I think it was 1277. Um, what if in 1277 you could predict something that was going to happen today exactly like it happens today? That'd be incredible. I mean, so much about the world was incredibly different 750 years ago. And that's what happens in Isaiah 53. Here's what happens there. And, and here's what's pretty interesting. Some people would say, oh, well, when you begin to see how close it is, you'll say maybe the text was sort of doctored and Jesus came and then they sort of changed it and that kind of thing. But no, the, the manuscript that we get Isaiah 53 from, the, the writing that we found with Isaiah 53 on it, older than Jesus. So all this was written down long before Jesus came. But you've got this author. He's inspired by God, and he begins to write. And check this out. Think of Jesus as we read this. Isaiah 53, we start in chapter 2. It says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. A little vague there, but, but Jesus came from, uh, came from this place. And when people would talk about where Jesus came from, they would say, Can anything good come from there? Sort of this idea of coming from nothing came like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Majesty like kings, right? He wasn't like a king. He was very simple. Had no beauty or majesty to attract... Still vague though, right? Had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low self-esteem. Right? So much of that sounds like Jesus on the cross and what he went through. But it gets, it gets, even, gets even closer. Verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Right? Pierced. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Man, doesn't that sound so much like Jesus? These wounds where He's put on the cross and, and dying for us. Verse 6, 
We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Get, get this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You remember when Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate and, and, and he doesn't say anything? And he keeps asking him to defend himself. And Jesus stands there totally silent. And here he is 750 years before predicting that very moment. Verse 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, so he died. For the transgression of my people he was punished. It says who of his generation protested? You remember even his own people, even his own disciples in the moment abandoned him. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Right? Remember, Jesus goes into the tomb. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, now get this, predicting resurrection here. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. It says he was cut off. He was dead. He was gone. But even after he dies, he's going to come back and he's going to see the light of life. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. I mean, it's hard to believe this was written before Jesus. It so incredibly describes Jesus. It's incredible the way God begins to do this. Even Jesus' disciples, days before this happens, still can't get this idea. But 750 years before, Isaiah puts pen to paper and writes exactly what's going to happen. Here's the idea. I've said this a lot of times. It's incredible to me. Why does this happen? Because God, since the very beginning of time, has been pointing us to Jesus. And whether he does it through, through writing like this that describes exactly what's going to happen to Jesus or whether it's some big picture thing pointing us to Jesus like the Old Testament sacrificial system, all those things, God has been painting a picture of what Jesus looks like all throughout history. And the idea is that when Jesus arrives, we'll know what he looks like. It won't be something that we've never seen before. God's been telling us about him for all of eternity. And so we can know that the man who came is Jesus. The man who came is the Messiah who we've been talking about. And God does all these things to make it really clear to us that this is who we are to follow. Man, I love the way Scripture works like that. What's the, we talk about all the things that we missed. What's the most common theme that people miss here. Why did people miss Jesus? Because they didn't realize that Jesus was going to be such an unlikely hero. Man, they were looking for a king. They were looking for a religious leader. But you know what Isaiah says about Jesus? Go look at, at, at verse 3 or 4. I can't remember which one it is. Go look at verse 3 or 4. What, what does he say about Jesus? He says that Jesus was so ugly, people couldn't even look at him. And the idea is, is, I don't think that Jesus was so ugly that people couldn't look at him. But what he's saying is, there is nothing in his physical appearance that would make you look at him and go, man, he's so beautiful, we should follow him. Nothing about it. I think it's what makes me such a great pastor. Right? So much like Jesus. Um, the idea is that nothing about him is, is incredibly beautiful that you would look at him and say, that's somebody to follow. 
Let's look at a couple of things about Jesus. Jesus was born in a barn, and his first bed was on a food tray, a food tray for animals. Okay, So, born in a barn, not in a real sweet way on soft, clean hay, but in a real dirty barn, Jesus was born there. Jesus was uneducated. Right? So think about all the people you know that, 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 that couldn't care less about education, maybe didn't finish high school. Do, do you always think about those people, man, they're definitely going to go on to, to, to be leaders of the world? Now, usually when they do something significant, we go, wow, and he didn't even graduate high school. Wow, he only had a third grade education, right? And, and those, are the, those are the ways that we tell the stories because we just don't expect that kind of thing. Jesus, uneducated, taught uh, most of what he knew he was taught at home. Uh, Jesus was a Jew. Uh, world leaders in this time were Romans. Uh, Jews were subject to Romans. They were under their authority. He wasn't even a part of this, this class that was leading. For much of Jesus' adult life, he was poor and he was homeless. He talks about it all throughout his, his, his adult ministry. Uh, when Jesus is going around the world, he's talking about how poor he is and, and they don't have money for food and they're relying on other people to do things for them. How many times have you looked at someone who's poor and homeless and said, that guy's a leader? I mean, he is going to make a big difference. Uh, Jesus' family thought he was crazy. Some of us are right there. We think our family's crazy too. Jesus' family thought he was crazy. At one point, all of Jesus' friends turned on him. What if you knew somebody that all of their own friends talk bad about them? You'd probably say, man, at some point, this guy has done something really wrong. Jesus died like a criminal hangs naked on a tree, uh, totally shamed and totally humiliated with no, seemingly no power to come down. And this is a guy who's going to save the world? His moment of glory, right? He comes into Jerusalem, and, uh, and he comes in, and everybody's waving palm branches, and, and, and he comes in on a white horse like a king with a sword? No, not at all. Comes in on a donkey. Right, A king would come in on a big white horse, but Jesus comes in on a donkey. Really simple people rode donkeys. So Jesus comes in in this very simple way, and nothing about him says, this guy is going to be a hero. Why did he do all that? Because Jesus knew that men would follow a king. That it would make sense to follow a king, but they would do it for all the wrong reasons. They would do it because he has power. They would do it because he can protect them. They would do it for, for all the temporal reasons. Do you guys remember before there was a Brad and Angelina? Do you remember who, who it was, the big deal? It was Brad and Jennifer. Anybody remember that? And I remember when Brad and Jennifer were together, uh, there were all these magazine titles that were like, um, they're going to be, they're the perfect couple and everything about them is perfect and they're going to be the one Hollywood couple to make it. Does anybody remember that? Um, I read too many gossip columns standing in the line. But I remember reading all that stuff about these two. And why did we think that? Because they were so beautiful. And because they were famous. And because when they were in public and on camera, it really looked like they loved each other. Turns out they were cheating on each other and their marriage lasted five years. But we were so sure because they were so beautiful and they were so famous that it was going to work out. You need a really good reason to follow a homeless martyr. And man, you really got to listen to the message and you really got to consider if this is something important because it doesn't seem on the surface like this is the thing. It's a lot harder to follow someone when it doesn't look like on the face of it there's a lot of benefit for you. 
But let me ask you this. Who can you relate to more? Do you relate to a king? king who rides in on a horse and is so incredibly important? Or do you relate to the poor guy and the guy who's got to struggle to make it? Jesus came to walk through everything that we're going to have to walk through. He came to do all the things that we're going to have to do. And yet He did every... Can you imagine this? He went through everything that we went through and yet did it all without sin. It may not look like a hero on the face of it, but you talk about somebody who can do that, that looks like a hero. What do we say when we do something terrible, when something terrible happens to us? You know, you kind of feel like it's not your fault. You kind of feel like you're a little vindicated because something terrible happened to you, so your terrible response now makes sense. Jesus went through all those terrible things and yet did all that without sin. Scripture says He humbled Himself so that He could walk in our shoes, so that He could suffer as we suffer, yet He could remain totally without sin and die for our sins. Jesus was an unlikely hero, but He was sent to save unworthy people. Jesus was an unlikely hero sent to save unworthy people. Any of you guys ever watch Full House? Uh, Justice uh, tried to get me to watch the new one, or, or just a couple times she watches it, but I just can't get into it. It's so boring to me. Um, but anyway, the Old Full House, I remember watching um, the Old Full House, and there was one episode when uh, uh, Uncle Jesse, I don't know his real name, Jesse Kasopoulos, I actually do know it. Um, anyway, so Uncle Jesse um, is—he's uh, touring with his band, and uh, and and he's uh, he's real—he can't think of a new song to write, and he's talking to his wife, and uh, I can't—I can't remember her name, uh, Aunt Becky. Yeah. So anyway, this is embarrassing a little bit, but he's talking to her, and he's like, you know, used to be I wrote songs about my life and all the crazy things that we did, and now my last two songs have been about uh, um, what does he say? Um, my last two songs have been about uh, diapers and staying up late feeding bottles. And so I sort of feel like all my stories now are pretty much about, you know, uh, Molly and getting on to her and, and, you know, normal boring parent stuff. But anyway, all that to say, I'm going to tell another one of those stories. Um, yesterday, we're, uh, yesterday we're watching um, the Smurf movie. Anybody seen the newest Smurf movie? Watching the Smurf movie, and uh, and Molly's been asleep for a long time. But sometimes I want her to relax, and so I put on a little cartoon movie, and then she falls asleep, and I'm hooked. And now I don't get to nap because I have to watch the end of it. So I'm watching the Smurf movie, and uh, and and you got a couple Smurfs, and they're going down this river, and it looks like they're gonna be they're gonna die or something. And then you see um, they find this raft, and then. Gargamel, um, he's, he starts drowning, and so one of the Smurfs is like, we have to save him because that's what we do. And so they go back and they save him, and as soon as they get him on the raft, he throws them off. Spoiler alert, sorry, this is a big point in the movie. Um, but anyway, so he, uh, he throws them off the raft, and he, says, uh, and he says, I hope you're a better swimmer than you are a judge of character. I won't tell you what happens after that, all right, so you can... There's, yeah, there's still some suspense left. But, uh, man, I, I really, rem- for one, it's a child's cartoon, and I think, man, how morbid. Um, but uh, I, I distinctly remember that piece. I think that's the plight of every hero, right? You go save someone, and then it turns out they don't care about you at all. And they're really just in it to help themselves. And even though you just saved them, they'll turn on you at any minute if it means helping themselves. Here's what I think is, is, is makes Jesus such a hero. As he says, I, I don't save you 
in, in spite of the fact that you're selfish. I don't save you in spite of the fact that you're going to do things wrong. I don't save you in spite of the fact that, that, you may, that, that you may do things that are against my will. I don't save you in spite of those things. I save you because of those things. And I came to save people because they need me. And because they're absolutely going to be going to do wrong. And I know from the outset that that's going to be the case. And so Jesus, unlike so many of these heroes, rather than rising from nothing to become something, Jesus leaves all his glory in heaven to become a humble, homeless servant, even unto the point of death. And he dies and he rises again so that you and I, when we put our faith in him, might have new life. And man, when I think about a hero, that's a hero. I just ask you, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you put your faith in the one true king? And, and then if you have, have you told anybody else about it? Man, what if you saw a hero do something incredible? Would you not be talking about it? Absolutely. Why are we not talking more about Jesus, who did something that no hero could ever do? who doesn't just save people for the moment, but saves people for eternity. Isn't that something to talk about? Absolutely, that's something to talk about. That's a story worth telling, and that's a story worth responding to. Let me pray. God, I, um, Jesus, I, I, I praise you for what you did for us just unmatched in your grace towards us. And I thank you for that. God, I pray that some of us in here maybe have have never said, Jesus, I'm considering for the first time what you've done for me in in dying for me, and and I, I just want that. I want to turn from my sin. I want to follow you. I want to be saved by you. I pray that if there are people in here that have never done that, that today would be the day that they would consider that and do that. God, I pray, uh, I pray for uh, those of us that, that are believers, that, that have been saved, that have turned to you and turned from sin and, and desire to follow you. And I pray that we would be people that would tell other people about the greatest story ever told. And I pray that we would be people that would talk about you, knowing that being saved by you is our only hope. And I pray that we would that we would be people who would be bold and not afraid to do that. God, I pray that you would bless us as we continue to worship God. May may this time right here, as we sing this last song, be a time where we say, Yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. And I'll do what you've called me to do. Amen.